0: Welcome to the CultureWise podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. For more information about this podcast, check out our pilot episode titled, What Is This Podcast About? My name is Daniel shugert and I am joined today by Ross Anderson. In today's episode, we want to discuss some of the obstacles that transitioning Mormons face. Many people are leaving Mormonism at this time, and some of them still want a relationship with Jesus. They are guardingly open to exploring traditional biblical Christianity, but that journey has many obstacles. First, Ross, let's let's describe who are these people that are who are leaving Mormonism? There's been some uh, research done lately on uh, demographics and statistics. What can you share with us about those?
1: Yeah, just to get kind of give a frame, a framing um, of the things we're going to share. Um, who are the people? There's really three groups. The largest group, statistically, are people who were raised LDS and then they leave the Mormon Church as soon as they really have the opportunity to do that, which means as a young adult, probably. Um, and so the median age for those is 19 years old, um, and 80% of that group is younger than 25 when they leave the church. And so, yeah, it's people who grew up in it and uh, never really owned it, maybe as a young adult, and then, or, they, or they owned it tenuously and they come to go to college or they get in a peer group, whatever, they realize, oh, you know, I don't really want to be a Mormon anymore. And then the, the second group, statistically second group in the sense of how many of them are people who joined the LDS Church but then just kind of fade away after a year or two you know they realize oh this isn't what I thought it was going to be or this you know what for whatever reason they go like oh I joined this church but I, I don't really want to stay in it any longer So um, they're converts, adult converts and then and then the third group is the smallest group, Statistically, numerically, but it's probably the most prominent group because this is these are the people who are on social media. These are the people who start podcasts and and you know start uh, doing things, uh, websites and and things. That so these are people who are active LDS who somewhere in their adult life they became disaffected with Mormonism. Maybe they maybe they discovered unsavory elements of LDS history or their social policies or different things. These are people who were more much more involved in Mormonism. 70% of this group was born as Mormons and they stayed much longer where 80% of the first group is under 25. of this group is older than 25 years old Mm. when they left the church. And so they're much more likely to have served a mission for the church. They're much more likely to have been initiated into the temple and sealed to their family in the temple. And so this group is also the most likely to become atheist or agnostic. Mm
0: -hmm. This group has has much loved and lived the church.
1: They've been immersed in it. It's really been who they are, And, and so more so than the others, way more so than the other groups, for sure. And so, you know, most of the things probably I'm interested in sharing in, in this episode, they, they probably apply the most to that third group, because they apply the most to people who have been immersed in it. Mm-hmm. That it really is their strong cultural identity. Now, it's going to apply to the first group somewhat, also because if they were raised in the Church, these are their cultural norms, This is they have this normative way of looking at religion and faith and so forth. Um, but you know, it's it's the third groups that's going to have the hardest time embracing faith after leaving Mormonism because they've been so immersed and they've been feeling they feel so burned, you know, by by a structured religion. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in in light of that demographic, then we're going to look at then some of the obstacles that these people transitioning out of Mormonism are going to face. Uh, and of course, again, some more than others. And then we want to discuss some ways that churches and, and Christians in relationship with those people can um, kind of help them through that process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So just to be clear, these delineations of groups come out of research done by Jennerice and uh, her project with Next Mormons and some other research that she's done.
1: Yeah, and that's that. You can find that uh, if you were to look for Jana Reese online, and the and the next Mormon survey it's called. Um, you could find a lot of these um, details spelled out.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've never been Mormon myself, but Ross, where 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 would you put yourself in these three groups?
1: <laughs> I was probably in the first group, really. Um, I left Mormonism between, around age nineteen to twenty-one in that in that framework. I never served a mission. I never mm. was. Uh, initiated into the temple. And so, you know, I was, not, um, I was not on the outside of Mormonism as a young person. I was Im- deeply immersed in the Mormon life and identity. Um, but the profile here would probably really fit that first and largest statistical group for me.
0: Mm-hmm. So how, how have you experienced those who are leaving Mormonism in your time here in Utah?
1: Yeah, well, there's just a lot of a lot of things that um, you know we see it. We see it in our church as people find their way into our church fellowship. Um, we learn kind of uh, what they've been through. Um, I've done a little bit of survey work myself, not not to the extent of Jana Reese or not not at the at the academic level of as she as she has, but more informally trying to talk to people, trying to compile the things I've heard and kind of categorize the things I've hear, I'm i hearing from other people. We've done a lot of work over the years with people who have left Mormonism uh, for faith and, and trying to figure out what helped you, you know, what were the things that you've struggled with and what helped you overcome that. And so that's where we kind of get, we get our six obstacles, um, I've categorized them into six categories of obstacles that people face. That's kind of where we've learned that over the years.
0: Mm-hmm. And what is the ultimate goal of the, the journey leaving Mormonism that these six obstacles are, are hindering?
1: Right. We want to see people come to faith in Jesus and, and experience um, a vibrant, new spiritual home in a relationship with Jesus and in his local church. So that that's ultimately the goal. So a lot of times when we talk about these obstacles, we're we're talking about personal things that could hinder a person from actually connecting with Jesus, um, and and some of them are other also things that could hinder a person from connecting with um, the body of believers, where they could become discipled and 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 grow in their faith.
0: Well, let's let's begin looking at them. What what are these six? Uh, challenges and obstacles that former Mormons face as they transition out.
1: Yeah, let me lay them out really quick first. I'll just name them and then we'll come back and we'll talk about them. Number one is surviving the emotional journey. Number two, we're going to talk about facing relationship challenges. The third one, we're going to talk about navigating doctrinal differences or worldview differences from Mormonism into biblical Christianity. Number four, we're going to talk about growing a relationship with Jesus, spiritual practices that were that were practiced in Mormonism. Now how do we do that in Christianity? Uh, number f- uh, Number five, we're talking about connecting with a church and overcoming some of the cultural confusion and, and, and relational questions there. And then number six, we're talking about how do you find a new purpose? Because our purpose was defined for us in certain terms as Latter-day Saints. Now now, now that I'm not Mormon anymore, what am I living for? Mm-hmm. What is God's purpose for me? So in an in a overview, those are the six things that we've discovered most uh, frequently people struggle with.
0: Mm-hmm. So that very first one, e- the emotional journey. What is this emotional journey that many former Mormons face?
1: Well, we're starting with the assumption... Uh, For the perspective that we talked about in a previous episode of Mormonism as a cultural identity. And so, if you think about it, I think a really helpful analogy to understand this emotional journey is to think about someone who is an immigrant from another country making their home in, in, in the U.S., or from the U.S., making their home in another country, mm-hmm, whatever. But mm-hmm. someone who's an immigrant. And America has a, a, a huge immigrant history, so we've all seen pictures of the crowds coming to Ellis Island and so forth, and so we have some sense of, of what the challenges for an immigrant are. And mm-hmm. so they're leaving their homeland, they're going to come live in a new place that's really, really different. They never intend to go back, they're not going back, they're starting a new life, but... That doesn't mean it's easy or automatic or natural, and we see, you know, how many people who have come to the U.S. as immigrants have a lot of confusion. They may want to hang on to their native culture in a lot of ways. They want to embrace the new culture in a lot of ways, Um, but it's confusing. They don't maybe know what to do, how to do it. There's a sense of, you know... Even though they want to live in the U.S., they don't want to go back to the Soviet Union or back to Guatemala or wherever they came from. Um, there's still that's still their homeland, mm-hmm. and there's still there's still an emotional t- tug, an emotional pull, and the emotional transition um, can be a lot of turmoil in their life. Um, they're going to have some loss, some sense of loss, and so a person coming out of Mormonism. Um, is they're losing maybe this cherished history of the church. They're losing maybe some family traditions that they built their life around. They're, they lose their certainty of where they stand in the universe. That was well-defined for them in Mormonism. They lose this sense of a special status that they had in God's sight. They lose a sense of purpose. There's a lot of things people lose, not even mentioning the relational ones, which we'll talk about in a minute. There's trust questions. Um part of the emotional journey is that they've been taught in Mormonism not to trust the Bible. Mm-hmm. They've been taught not to trust a Christian pastor um, because they might have been feeling betrayed or lied to by the LDS church. The natural result of that is they might have a real hard time trusting another ecclesiastical institution. Mm-hmm. Um And then they certainly, many of them have trouble trusting themselves because they go like, whoa, I was lied to all these years, how come I didn't see that, and can I trust my own judgment? So those are some of the sense of um, a few of the emotional issues. We talked about identity, cultural identity. Well, who am I now if I'm not Mormon anymore? They might feel betrayed, they might feel angry and bitter, they've been lied to, they might feel vulnerable and disoriented. Um, like, like, where do I turn? What do I do? Um, how do I not be lied to again? And so some of those things are, those different emotions, of course, are different in different people, different intensities, but those are the kind of things that um, LDS people on transition are going to face.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've met a handful of people that, when I asked about how their emotional journey has been leaving Mormonism... They said, oh, it's it's fine. It's fine. I, and I pressed a little bit and, and really they didn't they didn't seem to be wrestling too much with the emotional journey. But I think that's a minority. So, of course, not everyone is going to be experiencing the same things or experiencing them in the same degree. But often this culture shift, a whole new identity shift is going to bring out emotions and, and maybe some of them will be delayed Maybe some of them will be immediate. Maybe some of them will be hidden. Some will be obvious to the rest of the world. And so there's not just one profile that everyone's going to fit, but each person has a little bit of a different journey.
1: Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with what kind of a Mormon they were, how active they were, how, you know, all the factors that were part of their... But it also has to do with how they left. Mm -hmm. You know, did they just kind of... Fade away, or were they, or were they, surprised by challenging information that came out of the blue that rocked their world, or um, were they offended or hurt by somebody, and uh, so. So the kind of experience they had as a Mormon and the kind of experience they had in leaving Mormonism, those are going to leave an imprint one way or the other on the on the emotional aspects of this journey.
0: Mm-hmm. So how can we be helpful to those who, in some capacity or another, are experiencing the emotional journey?
1: Well, I think, you know, if trust is an issue, and so we want to help someone rebuild trust, um there's you know conversations that can be had if a person is willing to have the conversations to to rebuild their trust in the bible because there's mm-hmm. plenty of av- evidence the bible's trustworthy and um, you know and i a lot of times I, i'll talk i'll tell people look you know you realize that the lds church lied to you about a lot of things you feel like they did well maybe they didn't tell you the truth about the bible either mm-hmm. so maybe at least it would be fair for you to reconsider that Based on the evidence rather than on what you learned growing up, um, you know they they're taught not to trust a pastor. and you know what? We're not asking them to trust a pastor or any human being in some of the same ways that they were asked to trust their leaders in the past in in more of a unconditional manner. We know that no, no, um, we're not asking them to trust a church in the same way that they were asked to trust their the LDS church. Um, and so, but but doesn't mean that they can't learn to trust, but it takes time. So a pastor, if a pastor is involved, the pastor has to prove trustworthy by keeping his word, by investing personally, and so forth. Um, so and there's ways that churches can help do that. And there, like if churches are vulnerable, uh, transparent about their finances, mm-hmm. that really helps. There's practices that churches or ministries can do that say, you know, we're accountable. We're trustworthy. Nobody here, you know. The pastor doesn't make decisions by fiat without some, you know, advice and counsel and checks and balances and so forth. And so, there's a lot of different ways to help them rebuild trust. That's that's one level. We want to help them rebuild their sense of identity. Who am I? You know, I was if I if I was Mormon. My goal is I want them to build a sense of identity as a Christ follower, Mm -hmm. not as an ex-Mormon but as a Christ who happens to have been Mormon. And, and so there's a lot of work, relational work. That's why we emphasize mentoring so much. There's a lot of relational work that goes into this process, right? Um, so it's just going to take a lot of encouragement, a lot of patience. Um, I was just talking to a pastor last week, and he asked me, he said this woman came in, she was former Mormon, she was invited by a friend, and right off the bat, the very first thing she said to him was, I will never be baptized, and I will never become a member of your church. Mm -hmm. Well, you know he, and he understood, and I helped him understand even more fully that okay, that doesn't don't never say never in this sense, but she's reacting against lack of trust. She's reacting in this emotional manner, and I said you just have to be patient with her, and as she as you as you win her trust. And if she understands that baptism means something different than it did in Mormonism and that church is different, then you have an opportunity. She, she probably will have a change of heart about those mm-hmm. things.
0: And ultimately, the objective is that a person would learn to trust in God. Ultimately. Not just me. And so I, I'm often very clear. I want to be very clear that I'm not telling you to do this thing. I'm not saying you need to be baptized. I'm not saying you need to become a member of any particular church but instead i just want the person to understand what is god asking them to do right. primarily through the bible so we'll look at biblical stories that teach an understanding of baptism what does it mean who does it how is it done those right. sorts of questions and then and then just ask what is god wanting you to do
1: yeah that's a great illustration i'm glad you brought that up because ultimately when on the trust issue we want to see a person's transfer their trust not from the LDS church to, to my church, but ultimately to transfer their trust to God. Mm-hmm. And once they if they are able to, to trust God and trust his promises and his faithfulness, then then they can trust pastors and churches in a secondary mm-hmm. way based on their trust in God. They'll trust God with the pastor, they'll trust God with the church. you know and that, that's a really, really key point um, to make. When it comes to loss, um, again, patience. I, I think it, part of it is helping a, a, a LDS person, former LDS person, understand that there are certain elements of your culture that it's okay to continue to celebrate or even practice, mm-hmm. um, and there are other elements that you know you're going to have to learn um, the biblical perspective. But here's a point that I like to make: is that Jesus says in Matthew 19 that Anybody coming to him out of another world view is going to suffer loss. Mm-hmm. He says, "You know, if you suffer, you know, if you lose friends and farms and all, all the of the whole list, he says, you'll have hundredfold more in the kingdom. But if you're coming into faith in Christ out of a purely secular or atheistic perspective, you're going to suffer loss
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it's it's the loss of the lesser for the greater." Right in the way Jesus frames it, die to self, take up your cross, die to self. He says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you want to keep your life, you'll lose it. And so, this isn't just a, a, for LDS people. And I think it's an encouragement to them to realize oh, lots of everybody who's come to faith in Jesus has, has faced this at some level and found that um, God more than compensates mm-hmm. It's the promise mm-hmm. that Jesus
0: made. Yeah, so that's the first obstacle, the emotional journey, the first obstacle that Latter-day Saints face when they're transitioning out of Mormonism. The second one you identified is facing relationship challenges. And of course, it's, it's almost nested inside of the first point, but right. how can we fill out the relationship challenges that not all but many Latter-day Saints face when they leave?
1: Yeah, so that, where that stems from is how, how important family is in the LDS. It's part of their core, whole core worldview, the Families are forever, and community be, is really important value in Mormonism, too. And so, if I, if I break with the LDS church, then I also potentially break with my family and break with my community. You know, um, in places where there's a lot of LDS people around, um, you know, the people that you worship with are the same people who are in your neighborhood. So every Sunday morning, you're walking past their house to go to church, and you're, you know, they're all right there within a within your within mm-hmm. your two or three blocks, and so really, the com, the whole community and neighborhood is going to be at risk um, when you leave Mormonism, and then and you're going to have a lot of family pressures because they believe it's the one true church. They believe their eternal salvation in some ways is dependent on having intact families, and so. There's going to be pressure from the immediate family, your parents, maybe your kids, or um, from the extended family, and then, and then friendships are put at risk. So many people who've left Mormonism have shared how, oh, I thought, I guess I found out who my real friends are, mm-hmm. because they began to be shunned or just ignored um, by just the ward members in their neighborhood and so forth. And then, and then sometimes a faith transition draws out the toxicity in certain relationships, where, where family members can become really, really manipulative or really hostile. I know people who've been written out of the will, um, mm. and others is common. If you have kids, you know, your, your parents are trying to surreptitiously influence their grandkids, your kids, behind your back and giving them Book of Mormon or giving, you know. And so there's this whole complicated web of, of relational challenges um, that affects a person when they're contemplating leaving Mormonism.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know some who leave Mormonism no longer believe it's too, true. That's why they left. And and so when their family makes a big to-do about breaking up the eternal family and gives them a guilt trip, they just kind of laugh mock, or mock at it or, or shrug it off their shoulders, whereas others truly believe that they're actually breaking up the spiritual eternity of their family and just carry the guilt of that with them, even though they've left it, they still in a way believe it's true or haven't, haven't, haven't yet come to terms with the fact that they, they're not actually breaking up this eternal idea of right. family that their, their family idolizes. Right.
1: It's not real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but it still has a, a weight and they haven't, haven't worked that through yet. Yeah. It's still got a lot of weight.
0: Mm-hmm. So how can we help with people that are, are facing some of these relationship challenges on a wide spectrum? Well, it's
1: a challenge because to to learn where to set boundaries and how to set boundaries without burning all the bridges. So you know, a lot of times the person coming out of Mormonism will burn a lot of bridges in a couple of different ways. Mm. First of all, they they'll turn around and and want to kind of flame their Mormon family with their newfound beliefs, like just flamethrower and blast them with with all this truth that they're family's not ready or willing mm-hmm, to hear, mm-hmm. and and so they become offensive to them, and then they say, "Well, I I I can't let you be around my kids or your nieces and nephews, you know," and because you're so, mm-hmm. you become kind of a negative to them, um, and so there's this zeal sometimes that lacks insider discretion, um, and then and then the other. other way that we can burn a lot of bridges is that like, okay, I just I'm having trouble dealing with my manipulative Mormon family and 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 they're constant badgering or needling me about this. So I'm just gonna go, no. I'm just gonna put up a this super barrier um, and break off relations. So it's how how, it's how to figure out how to, you know, keep appropriate distance and how to um, help my manipulative family members or my toxic family members, you know, know, know what my boundaries are without just saying, no, I'm never going to have a relationship with you anymore. Because the point is, you know, God works redemptively through, re, through networks of relationships, and those at some day, at some point in the future, if I'm wise, then there could be plenty of opportunities in those relationships as I become more uh, fully formed in following Christ that has an effect and so we want to encourage people not to just burn their bridges but but to help them understand where maybe they need more space or where maybe they need to say no to certain behaviors on the part of their family members so um, and, and how to set some boundaries there you know how to channel their zeal a little bit um, the challenge then is how do you help them to build new relationships um, and, and you have to kind of help people find that at their pace, um, not pushing them into relationships, but kind of how do I help this person establish safe relationships now to replace in some way relationships that may have become troubled? You know, so it's just again a lot of one on one, a lot of like, like nurturing and, and shepherding people um, through this and listening when they vent and, you know, modeling something positive, loving them, basically, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How might you advise someone who you may be mentoring, who looks to you as a mentor, how would you advise them to engage in those conversations with friends or family uh, where they, they they struggle to hold back. They've got their zeal, they're they're sharing truth really hard. Of course, they want to communicate the gospel and love to their friends and family, but they're struggling to do so. How would you advise them?
1: Yeah, a lot of times, I think uh, many times I have advised people to say, um, maybe some of those conversations or things you want to share with them. Maybe it's better if you write a letter, hmm. if you share it in print, because then you don't have the emotions that get kicked in. Then you can craft it, you can work on it, you you write it, and it sounds like really hostile. You can just throw it in the trash can, you know, and then start over. Um, because you know people people really want to explain to their family what's going on in their life mm-hmm. and explain to them why they're not accepting invitations to go to ward events and and whatnot, and that's valid. So, but sometimes with the emotional a stirring that takes place. It's a good idea to distance it just a little bit. It's really hard to have that fate that conversation face to face without their emotions getting kicked up as they become defensive, and my emotions getting kicked up as I'm responding to their defensiveness. Or they seem dismissive, or they don't respect what I'm saying, or whatever. Or they label me, or you know, vilify me in some way. So, so that's one thing. Is you know, you could do it through. Written communication, and then at, you say, you know, I'd love to talk about this some more when you when you're ready to do that. Hmm. When you'd like to, if you'd like to discuss any of this, I would love to have that conversation with you. We're going to do it, you know, calmly and and so forth. And and when we're both ready for that, you know, we'll do that. Do so you leave the door open?
0: Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Uh, so that's the the facing relationship challenges obstacle that many Latter-day Saints face. Let's look at the next one. You identified the third one as as navigating doctrinal differences. So mo- moving maybe from emotional into some of the intellectual, the the doctrinal differences of this worldview shift. What's the issue here?
1: Yeah, it's like, how do I know what what's true? Mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting that in my interaction with different people transitioning out of Mormonism... Um, yes, you know, like you pointed out, some of them may not have a lot of the emotional thing, and some of them that's all that's going on. Some of them really, really, really want to focus in on on the worldview stuff and the doctrinal stuff, and they don't really, they're not that interested in the processing the emotional. And some it's vice versa, you know. So it's really interesting that with any given LDS person, you know, the the way this takes shape in their life could be just a lot of variation. But what's here is that you know the core worldview between Mormonism and Biblical Christianity are really really different. Now there's superficial similarities, there's superficial behavior certainly, um, but the whole all these new approaches like can be really confusing. So again, we talked in another episode about terminology that's the same, but we so we have to kind of totally redefine some basic terminology that we're using, that they used before, but they had a different meaning for it. Mm -hmm. There's key issues that a lot of uh, people coming out of Mormonism have trouble with. They're identifiable, they're kind of predictable, they may have trouble with, again, the authority of the Bible, we mentioned trusting the Bible earlier, Um, almost guaranteed that they're going to have trouble with the doctrine of the Trinity, because they've envisioned... God in a very different light than the Bible presents him, they might have trouble with the idea of grace because they're coming out of such a a perfectionistic culture. They use the word grace, they use it differently. What do we mean by grace? But not only conceptually, but also in practical application, what does it mean to live in grace? It's kind of another issue that we'll talk about later, but um, they're going to have to have a whole reorientation about what the church is. Mm -hmm. because they're used to this idea of this visible, institutional church that is supposedly the church Jesus founded, and biblically the church... So they don't really have a concept of the universal church, the invisible church, and then even what the meaning of the local church, the visible church is, is really, really different from the way that Mormonism presents the church. A lot of times they're going to have to really rethink the the preexistent life before being born into this, because Mormons believe in a pre-existence. And then the afterlife, how do you think about uh, what happens next, is really vastly different. And there are certain emotional ties that Mormons have to some concepts related to the pre- and the um, post-Earth life. And then um, they're going to have to rethink a lot of things about the person and work of Jesus. Um, There's a lot of overlap in, in many areas, but there's a lot of areas where that it's foreign to them to think about Jesus and His work on the cross and, and and so forth and and who He really is in some really different ways. So those are some things that can be really challenging and can be really confusing for for LDS people coming out of Mormonism. And even the thing like I've heard many times people go like, "Oh, I was sitting in church. The pastor was sharing something in a sermon." And I go, "Oh, really? Is that a thing?" Hmm. Or or they'll, or they have a thought in in, in worship, whatever. They have a thought, and they'll go like, "Oh, wait a minute. Does that come from Mormonism, or does that come from the Bible?" And they're even confused about like where their inner thoughts are sourced. And, and so that those are kind of doctrinal and worldview questions mm-hmm, too.
0: Mm-hmm. So as as we recognize some of these challenges that our friends may be facing. What can we do to help them navigate through those doctrinal differences, the worldview shift, some of these things they've never heard of or, or don't know if it's true or not true?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, that, that can work again on an individual level or at a church level. Um, so, on, you know, an individual level, if you're working with, you have a relationship with somebody like this, you know, you've got to be pretty, pretty uh, well acquainted with some of these basic issues. Um, and there's great sources out there, it's not like nobody's reinventing the wheel here, um, but framing them in terms of the understanding the things that, that Mormons might struggle with. And so, can I articulate the Trinity? Can I articulate why we believe the Trinity versus the LDS view. And And again, for a person who's coming out of Mormonism, it's different from an apologetics conversation with an active Mormon person. So I, it's not like I'm having to like prove or or answer all of their objections or so forth. This is a person who is probably, he's at least interested and in, and in, in may have a sense that, oh, I don't necessarily know that I believe the Mormon thing anymore but it's still their frame of reference. And so you may not have to have an adversarial type conversation with them or a debate with them, but but you'd need to be able to articulate, this is why we believe this, this is how this makes sense biblically, this is where this is coming from. So just first of all is getting familiar with those basic issues. Mm -hmm. There's good resources on that. And I think the second related to that really is, is establishing everything from the Bible. Mm -hmm. I learned to say, oh, not not this is what my church teaches or or this is just what I believe because I don't know why, Um, but really establishing everything from Scripture. And that helps then to rebuild their whole trust in the Bible and to establish a framework that the Bible provides the systematic framework for everything we believe. And so what it's doing, what I want to do is I want to teach them how to use the Bible. Um, If I'm referring to the Bible to make the case for these different things Then I'm modeling how to use the Bible. I'm modeling the authority of the Bible. I want to model sound principles of biblical interpretation. So because a Mormon person has never, uh, their use of the Bible in the past has been just to proof text certain things to support the things they already believe. And so <clears throat> and then the other, another really big thing that's really important in this is know how to differentiate between essentials and non-essentials in doctrine so there's certain things that the christian church has always believed in that are crucial if you don't believe it you're you're not really a a christian in the Mm -hmm. historical sense the trinity is i think is a matter like that there's other things that that different denominations and movements and historically would, would disagree on there's secondary or even tertiary issues they're issues that we might de- disagree or debate about, but we're, they're not issues we would divide over. They're certainly not issues we would die over, you mm-hmm. know. And so if I can differentiate between those things and help the LDS person develop a framework that differentiates, now that that in and of itself can be a radical thing for Mormonism, for people from Mormonism because they're used to having this authoritative voice that says boom, boom, boom. and and to, it can be a little unsettling to say, well, what do you believe about X, Y, Z? And they'll say, well, I'm not sure, or it doesn't re- really matter, or this is what this church teaches and this is what this other church teaches. So th- there's a whole framework of understanding the Bible and the layers of certainty, layers of authority that it has that you know kind of help walk a person through all that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I often desire to see a, a person transitioning from placing authority in their ecclesiastical leaders in Mormonism to placing the authority actually in, in the Bible. And so one way that I try to do this is by every time I approach a Bible story with a friend who's in my living room, we're studying a story together, and a question comes up oh, I may have an answer. I, c- I can just say, oh, well, this is this is the way it is because I know and I could right. come up with it uh, with bringing in some other verses that communicate the same point. But instead, I, I'm, I'm really passionate about people discovering how to study the Bible, how to interpret it and understand truth from it, and, and even just how to make simple observations about mm-hmm. the text. Yeah. Yeah. And so even if I know an answer, I'll say, well, what can you see in this story in the Bible that would give you a clue towards the answer? And, and and sometimes I'll ask you a question like, well, what is the main point of the chapter right before this? Right. So that we get an idea of context. And of course, these, these kinds of skills take. Time. So sometimes a Bible study can take a lot longer because we had to read right. the chapter before, or the chapter after, or even skim over the whole book and see what's the main point of the book so we can understand the context that way interpret the one verse we're looking at in the context of of the whole book or the chapter. And so that's something I'm really passionate about is just modeling that practice of how I study the Bible and I want to see that reproduced so that they don't just trust me as an authority, but they trust the Bible and its authority.
1: Yeah, totally. That's a great point. That's the whole point. We don't want them to just like trust a different voice. We want them to learn how to trust the Bible, how to use the Bible, how to understand it, and let it be the authority in their life for sure. Makes a lot of sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked about three obstacles so far that a Latter-day Saint transitioning out of Mormonism may face. Surviving an emotional journey, facing some relational challenges, and navigating doctrinal differences between what they used to believe and what they may now be discovering. We're going to pause and actually look at the next three in a future episode. So join us then. Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter day Saints with wisdom and.